0: This week in Sparkling Water, my name is Iwakim Erikson, and I'm the host of This Week in Sparkling Water. You never feel ready, but you are ready, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I hate this episode so far, but I usually do, because I don't feel ready. The weight of the previous 99 episodes resting on my shoulders... Why, though? Does that make any sense? It doesn't. It doesn't. (laughs) Madison sent me this TikTok yesterday about, like, (laughs) this woman is like, sometimes I end a sentence with, does that make any sense? (laughs) And then she's like, and people think that's because I'm like an unassertive woman who's doubting herself, but I actually never doubt myself. I'm actually just wondering if, if you're stupid and if you are even following what I'm saying. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Okay, we're going to do the landswipe and then we're going to, yeah. And then what? I, um, this is episode 100. Episode one, we reviewed Pomplemousse LaCroix, grapefruit LaCroix. The sparkling water. Cooper Shaw was a guest. And now for episode 100, I'm going to be reviewing Pomplemousse LaCroix, the candle. I was sent a Pomplemousse LaCroix candle, so I'm lighting the candle. It's a scented candle. It's a grapefruit scented candle. Got to rearrange my plans a little bit. Video is back. Oh, that's definitely going to set fire to that plant. No smell. Video is back. Episode 100. Julie sent me that candle. Julie sent me the candle. My ex-girlfriend. Um. And I don't talk to Julie anymore. And that is so sad because, you know, all breakups are sad and stuff, but the thing about why Julie, the Julie thing is sad is because before we were dating, we were friends for like a year and a half and we were like best friends, you know, we would hang out all the time, like five times a week or whatever. We'd hang out, we'd work together, and then we'd hang out after work, and we had so much fun, and we played video games, and we were really good friends. And I was in a relationship, and, sh- and she was in a relationship, and then both of our relationships kind of failed, and then there was this thing that happened where we hooked up, and then once you... Once you've hooked up, once the genie is out of the... What was that? Yeah, I heard someone say a hilarious version of... The, once the genie is out of the bottle. I, a hilarious... <laughs> fuck, I can't remember. It It was something about AI where someone was like... Talking about how once we've developed artificial general intelligence. I don't know. Once the genie is out of the computer, you can't put the genie back in the computer. And once Julie and me were in a, doing a relationship, we did a relationship for like a year and a half or two years, and, and then... I feel so dishonest and self-aware right now. This is coming off as... Mm, this is problematic. This episode is problematic. And then... We broke up like a year and a half ago or something. I actually don't have any idea about the timeline. No, it was more like two and a half years ago. And then we were just friends after, or we were trying to just be friends. But I had broken up with her and she, oh, she had, she had feelings left and so we would like, tried to spend time together and then we'd like hook up and then I was like a little bit delusional about it and thinking that we were just friends and then there would be these explosions of emotion and fighting and when when that happened I'd understand that we weren't just friends like if we were just friends there wouldn't be fighting and then six months ago I had to just or like four months ago, I had to just call it and just be like, I, I'm sorry, we, this is not, she got so mad at me for not telling her that I was seeing someone or for telling her that I was seeing someone or for saying that I was going to hang out with her and go on a trip with her and go to New Orleans with her. And then for changing my mind, she got so mad that I changed my mind. Which is shitty. I was being shitty. Surely. Surely I was being shitty. But then. She screamed at me and she said all these mean things. And she was like, You think you're like getting better and you're like sober and you think you're working on yourself. But you're like, You haven't made any progress and you're the exact same person as before you got sober. And you're like so shitty and you're so fucking shitty to me. And it's like, Ah, fuck. That's the most devastating thing you can say to me. (laughs) Are you telling me these 100 podcast episodes were for nothing? Are you saying I didn't even drink any sparkling water? (laughs) You haven't reviewed a single sparkling water. What? I thought I'd reviewed 300 sparkling waters. Ugh. And then she, uh, oh God, a week or two later, she apologized and stuff and said she didn't mean it and that it wasn't true or whatever, but all oh, my eyes teared up a little bit there. It's like I'm, I'm, I'm existing. I'm saying it in a dishonest way and I'm saying it like, like I'm not really present for this and I'm not being very raw. I'm saying it in this very performative way. But behind this like performative mask of me saying these things that sound rehearsed out loud behind that, there's like real emotion and the real emotion is like quivering and the real emotion is like wants to come out, <laughs> fuck. but like the mask is laughing. <sighs> so I don't talk to Julie anymore and, <clears throat> but she sent me this candle, like almost like a fucking six months ago, a year ago, a long time ago, she sent me this. This candle and um I don't know, I was was like I wanna record I wanna review the candle on some special episode, so Episode one hundred, we're reviewing a fucking sparkling water candle. <laughs> so stupid. Oh god, I forgot to shave. And we all know that when I don't shave, you can't see that I haven't shaved, but you can just see that I just look worse. You don't, you cannot put your, your eye finger on why to your eye I look worse, but I just do. And it's, I don't know. It's just like this little uneven sprinkle of, of uglifying dirt on my face. Yeah. I don't talk to Julian more, but I don't talk to anyone anymore. I live alone now. The other one I don't talk to is Dr. Luke. That's a big one, you know. Dr. Luke, in 2012, I've moved back from China and and lived in Sweden for a year. And I lived in, in a dorm, and Dr. Luke was doing a semester in Sweden. He was in med school, and he was in Sweden on an exchange. And we lived together for six months, and we became fast friends, and then... After he moved back to New Zealand, we stayed friends and were talking on WeChat. is a Chinese messaging app. We were sending voice messages back and forth every single day about stuff. Frequently about how we couldn't sleep. (laughs) It was like, I slept so little last night. Woke up, woke up so dehydrated. He was more emphasizing how he woke up dehydrated, and I was more emphasizing how how I had much too much stuff to do. But both of it was a narrative about sleep deprivation. So we'd talk every single day, and then and then we'd have little chat groups with Dr. Luke and me and Sebastian, or Dr. Luke and me and Ingrid, and we just talk every day. and And it was really a sort of it was our space to talk about how we were feeling shitty. I think that was the big thing we connected over just like having a space where you can talk about are we even recording yes we're recording talk about how how you're feeling shitty and then after like three years sebastian was like we can't do this on wechat because there's a privacy concern because the chinese government is listening And I'm like, bro, you're being a narcissist, who cares? The Chinese government does not care. And so we had to switch to WhatsApp. And then three years after that, we switched to Signal. But me and Luke, we just talked every single day. But the thing was, we talked every single day, and like every three weeks, we'd do a video call. And then he visited me in China multiple times. And I never visited him in New Zealand, and that was... um, Big point of contention where he was always like, I'm a better friend than you because I keep visiting you and you've never visited me. And he's like, dude, to to regular Western middle class people, China is not like a tourist destination. I'm not going to China because I want to. I'm going to China to hang out with you. And I never went and visited him. And we had some terrible meals in China, proving that China is not a place where you want to go visit it just isn't. And then the thing was, though, that every six months in this weird, I don't know why it was like clockwork. For some reason, every four or five or six months, I don't know exactly how long, but it always felt evenly spaced out. We would have these massive fights where he would really hurt my feelings. And when you have that every four months for 10 years, that's so many fights. And at some point, six months ago, I was like, bro, we're 35. I've tried everything to have us not have these massive fights. It's like grownups can't just... I think, and now looking back on it with a little bit of space from between... It's been six months. I think part of it was that we were never in the same room together. Because I think when two people are friends and they're in the same room together, there's a humanity that happens. You connect. And you're nice to each other. Because you believe in each other. And you care about each other. And there's a humanness to it. But when you're only talking about talking in voice messages, it's a little bit like how Twitter, people always talk about, I'm not on Twitter, but people always talk about how Twitter like makes you a worse person. It like, you want to tweet something performative to get like, likes and retweets. And you see these opportunities to attack people when they say something that's not perfect. And the attack is a real good way to like get the attention that you're the like financialized attention, like the commodified attention in the forms of the tweets and the upvotes and whatever. So it like the medium itself has this way of changing the messenger and changing the message, but like the format changes who you are. So me and Dr. Luke, I think a big part of it is that we would have these fights because we just forget the humanness because we don't live in the same country. And we haven't lived in the same country for 10 years. And the whole – like we'd get so mean to each other, I think, because we the humanness fell away. And I, I don't know. I think that's all there was to it. I was always like trying to – and then I was always trying to – um have him talk about me, talk to me about it, talk to me about... I wanted to unpack it after we'd have a huge fight and he really hurt my feelings and I was really sad and we wouldn't talk for like a week or two. Afterwards, I'd try to reach out and be like, so can we talk about why we just had this huge fight? And he never wanted to talk about it. He would, just, he just wanted to pretend like nothing in this way that I came off as overly British to me. <laughs> But I think all of that was bullshit. There was nothing to talk about. It was just how we became assholes because of there was too much technology in the way. And I think that really there's something in there about how we used to be connected to each other. And then that is in the modern era, that's dipping, because of technology that seems to increase connectedness, we're becoming less connected. But it's because the technology is still shitty. But like 50 years from now, the technology will be good. The way we'll have meetings and the way we'll talk to people, we'll put on some sort of lightweight uh VR headset and we'll just sit down on the couch and we'll just be hanging out with people. And there will be a facial capture thing where our avatar in the space of the mind of the other person will be perfectly represented and our little facial cues and our little hand gestures and everything will be there and it will, it will reactivate the humanity in us and we will be able to have long distance friendships in a way that with the humanity doesn't get lost in just a tornado of technology. But we're living right now, we're living in this painful tri- transitionary period and it's not that I was born too late or too early, but both, you know, I'm just born both too late and too early. Like, I hate this. I hate this part. <laughs> when it comes to human history, to the 2020s, I hate this part. This part's terrible. And everyone's like, in our lifetime, the 90s was probably the best we'll ever have. And now it's probably just going to get worse. And it's like, yeah, but not forever. It's going to get better again. But right now, right now it's going to get worse. It's going to get even worse before it gets better. But like, fuck. I just want to crawl into a little frozen tube and just come back Rumpelstiltskin style. Is that the one? Eddie Vedder, which one's that, that gets, gets frozen and comes back or goes to sleep or something? The Green Giant? I don't know. There's something in American culture about someone who goes to sleep and comes back and his dad is dead or something, his wife is dead. So yeah, I don't, I haven't talked to Luke for six months and like three months ago he emailed me and was like, congratulations on the book. And it's like, bro... He was such a good friend, and I was such a shitty friend, and I wrote this book, and it was so, like, not finished, and he was the only one who read it, and he he gave me all this real feedback of, like, this shit is not working, and I argued with him so much, and he, like, took the time to argue back, and eventually I changed all the things that really weren't working, which speaks to the larger philosophy that I developed on feedback, which is, like and this is not my philosophy, but I really sort of have had it in in effect now for a long time of like, if you show someone a piece of content, a piece of writing or a film you're making, or like whatever it is, whatever your creative output is, and you show it to a layman, to a non-expert, they'll tell you like, this is not working because of this and this and this and you should really ignore the because everything that comes after the word because you can discard cuz it takes an expert to know why but even a lay person can tell you if it's not working and if a lay person tells you it's not working that's something you have to listen to and then you got to figure out for yourself why it's not working and they'll they'll think because of how language works or something because of the disconnection between the subconscious and the conscious, we like have a subconscious feeling of looking at a piece of art and being like, this piece of art is not working. And then our conscious mind tries to come up with an explanation for why, but really the explanation is unknowable in the dark, in the dark, murky waters of our subconscious. So like whatever you're making, show it to a lay person and ask them if it works. And if if they say this part here is not working, listen to that, but don't listen to the why, you know? So it took fucking 10 years to write this novel and he kept fucking rereading it and he reread it like a novel-length doc. He was such a good friend. I was such a shitty friend. And now we haven't talked for six months and three months ago he just emailed me and was like, congratulations on the novel. And then I didn't email him back and I haven't talked to him for six months and I'm so fucking lonely. And I don't talk to Julian, I don't talk to Luke, and those were my two best friends. But honestly, I don't talk to anyone. Dr. Luke sent me a... um, Years ago, he sent me a framed, nice map of New Zealand. You know, with the glass front and the nice, big, heavy frame big package sent to me in America and I hung it on the wall and then I have been taking that map of New Zealand from it's like my eyes want to cry but my face is performing it's like my heart wants my eyes to cry but my face is too busy being fake um he sent me a map of New Zealand that I've taken from home to home as I have moved, and now I'm in this new apartment up here in North San Juan, and, and um did you notice how I learned how to pronounce it correctly, everyone? And yesterday I took out a nail and a hammer, and I put a nail on that wall right there. And I hung the picture of the New Zealand map, even though I don't even talk to Dr. Luke anymore. And that's because I do feel like it's important to tell myself that I respect that part of my life, though. Like, I, I canceled that part of my life. I stopped, I put an end to it. But it doesn't mean that I don't respect that I spent, like, yeah, honestly, because honestly, Dr. Luke would, like, he did so many good things for me. Like, he's probably, I never say this, but he's probably the the person more influential than anyone else that I got sober. Now, honestly, a person getting sober, it's 95% yourself. It just is. Like, we can't fucking influence uh, each other, almost. But... Insofar as around the edges we can influence each other and people did influence me or whatever, I mean he would just come at me with science and medicine and and be like, bro, you're you're gonna get fucking water in your brain if you don't quit drinking like this. But then he would really hurt my feelings. So now I'm living alone in this place and I don't talk to anyone. Oh. I broke up with Madison. Don't talk to Madison anymore. Don't talk to my dad anymore because he's got a little bit of a drinking problem and it makes me feel bad. It makes me feel like my sobriety isn't strong. But I did talk to him a month ago, and he was claiming to be sober, but he also said that he wasn't totally sober. and that's hard for me to parse at a distance. Yeah. I don't know, it's tough when, I don't know, I'm just such an extrovert and I don't talk to anyone anymore and all my friends are just my work friends. But that's okay. Speaking of which, I have to issue an apology. It's like <sighs> there's this girl there's this girl at work. I've been mispronouncing her name as Soleil, but it's actually Soleil. So that's apology. Okay, first of all, I've been thinking about this and get ready because this is about to be the world's worst apology. I don't, I'm not very good at apologizing and I'm going to do it now and it's not going to go very well. But apology part one, I'm sorry I've been saying your name wrong. Okay. (laughs) And then, so I reviewed some sparkling water from um, Safeway called Soleil. I mean, Soleil, Signature Select or whatever. And so I brought her up and I was talking about her on the podcast. And it's funny because a couple of Mondays ago, her and me were at work and she was talking about how she's like obsessed with podcasts and she listens to so many podcasts and and she's like, my dream is to be on a podcast. And it got to a point where I had to be like, okay, I just, you know, I have a podcast. <laughs> she was like, you're fucking shitting me. And I was like, yeah, everybody was sparkling water. And then I get so self-conscious and unsure of myself and I hate it so fucking bad that I didn't want to tell her what it was called but then good guy chef Eric this guy he is honestly one of my favorite people especially in the last month it's really become clear that he's like one of the pillars of my whole psyche holding the whole thing up so like a few days ago, I was like complaining about something at work, and someone made, kitchen made a salad, a kale Caesar, and they gave it to me. And the bowl that it was in was like blazing hot, and I was like, "Bro, you're gonna make a salad in a blazing hot bowl?" And then they all looked at me, and I realized that they were all fucking struggling, and they didn't have any clean bowls, and the bowl was straight out of the dishwasher. And it was like all they had and the salad needed to be made. And it was just like a tough day. And here I come in and I have no idea what's going on. And I'm like complaining. And they're clearly doing their best. And they're doing it as fast as they can. And they're trying to keep the bar up. And Chef Eric looks at me and he's like, yeah, anything else you want to complain about? And it cut me so deep to my heart because I realized that I was fucking being so shitty, and he has such a good – he's just such a through and through good guy, and he has such a strong moral compass, and he has such a strong, like, moral fiber to him, and, like, his judgment. He just has the best people-to-people person judgment, and when he, he looks at me and just goes, anything else you want to complain about? I just know that he's right. And at least I have enough maturity that I didn't say that there's like a thousand things you can respond to that or you cannot respond at all. And at least I had enough. I'm not super ashamed of what I said next because what I said next was something like, yeah, I'm in a really terrible mood today. I walked away and while being facing the other way, I just screamed something like, I'm in a really terrible mood today. Now, the screaming seems like a non sequitur, but everyone is screaming in this room because it's like a very noisy room. So, at least saying I'm in a terrible mood today is a way to say, I know that I am in my stuff. Like, I know that my negativity is an expression of my bad feeling in my heart. And that is half of the way of where we should be, at least. Like, it's at least it's the vaguely the right direction to be. When you catch yourself complaining when you shouldn't be complaining to at least bring it back to yourself and to admit that it's about it's about me, like that I was I was here verbalizing my own problem and and I and i I wasn't saying I wasn't saying I'm sorry, I wasn't saying a big thing. I just said, "Yeah, I'm in a really terrible mood today." And fine, that's fine. What was I going to say? Oh yeah, <clears throat> so that really broke my heart when he looked at me and said, "Anything else you want to complain about?" Awful, awful moment. Day after I broke up with Madison, I was like, it was a very, very bad moment for me. But a few weeks ago, (laughs) me and Soleil were mopping and she's like, blah, blah, blah. Okay. (laughs) Blah, blah, blah. That makes it sound like the things she says doesn't matter because they do. The things she says, they matter. (laughs) reminds me of reminds me of something funny that's like when I was in high school this is like 20 years ago I'm in high school and I started a um, school newspaper just so that I could do writing and so that I could interview people and have a format for it and I literally think I put out like three three issues or something. It wasn't, I wasn't very good at it. I wasn't very consistent. I didn't work very hard on it. But I invented it. I called it something 88. Oh, God, I don't even want to go down there. The, the, the address of the school was 88. But anyway. Um, yeah. So I interviewed my favorite rapper, PST kid. PS PSTQ he was uh he was from uh, Gothenburg and blah 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 he had a Gothenburg accent and and I in preparation for interviewing him because somehow I got hold I emailed his label or something I think and I got his phone number and I called him and I recorded the call and I wrote an article out of it and um in preparation for the interview I listened to every time he'd been interviewed and he he wasn't very famous and Swedish rap in 2001 none of them made any money so he never he didn't he was like top 10 best most famous rappers in Sweden back then but he still didn't even even being in the top 10 he didn't make enough money to have it be anything so he didn't stay a rapper so he just like got a normal job and gave up on it because Sweden isn't big enough for you to reach critical mass so <clears throat> even though he was in the top 10 there were only like 3 interviews with him and I found one of them and it was like, this girl asks some questions and then she's like, okay, so can we hear something? And he just starts freestyling acapella and it's like pretty tight. And then like he stops and she goes, <laughs> which means and so forth and so forth. But what it really means and what it really feels like it means when she says it like that is that what he's doing is totally generic and replaceable and anyone could do it and it could go on forever and there's no value to it. It was like the most she probably didn't notice in the moment and she probably didn't notice listening back to it but to everyone else it really felt like she didn't notice but it really felt like the most dismissive disrespectful just saying blah 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 placeholder. (laughs) Fuck. It was so funny. It was so funny and it was like I mean, okay, thinking about it now, maybe that was the moment he was like, all right, fuck this. I'm not going to be a rapper anymore. This shit is not working out. No one gets it. And also, this lady just said, and so forth, and so forth, at the end of my rap, so that it's nothing. <laughs> oh, but they're not all going to get it, you know? That's what we've learned about content. Open up wide. Daddy made you your favorite. Um, and then when I interviewed him, I was like, Oh God, I said something that accidentally turned into the same thing where I was like, I felt like he had some emo songs and then some more pop songs. And then I named like one of his songs that I felt was more emo. And I was like, are you going to make any more of these songs? Like that's like this, that is more like real or, um, any other, you know, like that one or, And then I couldn't think of a single other example. So it's as if I was saying, you're going to make any uh, more good songs, like that one good song you make. And then I can't think of any other good songs you made, but you made one good song. Are you going to make any other good songs? And it turned into this like extremely rude question. (laughs) He was so fucking disrespected in all the interviews. (laughs) He got so... (laughs) Oh God, I thought that was so funny. That's so funny. Anyway, moving on from past to kid, The thing I was going to say is Soleil was being like, blah, 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 and so forth. Talking, talking, talking. I love podcasts. And then I eventually I have to be like, while we're mopping, I have to be like, okay, bro. Just so you know, like I also have a podcast and I review Sparkling Water. And she, for some reason, she's obsessed with people lying or telling the truth or pranking her. Like she has this... Um, in sensitivity about being pranked I think she actually has a lot of sensitivities which is why I should be she is my friend and I really she's raw and honest and I really care for that I think that's. she's got this really raw and honest and insecure quality to her that's so charming and makes me want to be her friend which means that I should be nicer to her but that podcast is a really It's a really stark, unforgiving, that stark, unforgiving light of the podcast has done damage to her in the past. And it's probably doing damage to her in this episode too, but it is just what it is. You know, you know, I'm giving her the treatment, you know, so the sparkling treatment, this is like a pedicure for your soul, you know? Um, so she was like, no, you're, you're, she didn't believe me that I that I had a podcast and she she thought I was joking and 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 then that makes me feel even worse because then it's like well it's kind of not a podcast because it's just a thing I do alone and to say that it has any sort of value is like to say it as if it's an established thing then yeah then I am lying so yeah okay fine fine maybe I don't have one you know And then good guy Chef Eric walks in and he's like, yeah, no, he's got a podcast. And then because he's such a fucking good guy and I could just cry, dude. He remembers the name of the podcast and he just tells her. He's like, yeah, it's called. um..." And there was this silence when I was like, is he going to remember what it's called? Not that I would be super offended if he didn't, but like, I don't know. And he's like, it's called This Week in Sparkling Water. And she's like, no, it's not. I don't know. Maybe it's not. And then five minutes later, she comes back, and he's, she's looked at it on her phone, and she's like, mango? You were drinking mango? And I'm like, I don't know. I guess I was drinking mango. I, I don't exactly know what you're talking about, but yeah, I, I was probably drinking mango. And... Um, so the next part of the story then is that she um, she told me now on Monday a few days ago that um, she was very upset because she had been walking her dog in the middle of the night and there was a full moon and it was like a long walks. I guess that's why she's a big podcaster because she walks super long walks in the middle of the night with her dog and it seems dangerous to wear headphones around here. It gets in someone going to club you over the head, but maybe if you got a good enough dog, you're safe. Um, so she's listening. And then while she's listening, I start talking about her. And I don't know. Those moments are funny. It is funny. It's just funny, you know? Um, I'm thinking about the timeline here. So first I told her about it, and then she listened. Oh, I must have already talked about her. When I when she found out that I had the podcast, I'd probably already talk, talked about her. Yeah. So so she starts laughing in the middle it's just I, I don't know. It's a moment that I think is that is heartwarming to me to think about that she like listened to it and then I was talking about her and she's just like in the forest alone, you know, hours away from anyone, just laughing at the top of her lungs and her laughter echoing through the forest because it's so absurd that she's listening to a podcast that is about her. Um, that Those moments are heartwarming to me. But then I said all these mean things about her, so it wasn't good because the podcast is is me exploring my own negativity so that I can get it out and look at so that I so that less of it will come out in my regular life. And so that I can let it all out here. And so I can look at it and be like, that's not that's not good that my mind thinks like that. And that I say those mean things and think those mean things. That's not good. So yes, I haven't listened back to it. But I'm sure I was mean as fuck. And apparently I called her crazy. And look, this lady's a little bit crazy. But I'm crazy, too. She's the crazy, I just can't apologize for it because it's like, I didn't mean that as a mean thing. I just meant that as. You know, anyone who's got a little bit of brains on them is a little bit crazy, right? Anyone who's got a little bit of of an interesting quality to them is a little bit crazy, right? And um, I, did, I, I think she is... Very smart and very charming. And, and I think it's all, um, the crazy is not a bad thing. The crazy is a good quality. And she was all like, I, I'm I'm worried that that's how people see me. And people see me as this weird person. And, and it's like such a, being worried about self-image like that is such a fear that I also have. Just like, I'm just so afraid that people have some image of me that i can't control and that it's just like a little bit icky that it's like icky and too weird and too crazy and not cool and that it's just like this incredible uphill battle to even get close to anyone because everyone's first impression of me is that they find me so fucking annoying and weird and so that i really relate to and that i really apologize for and i i i i want her to know that I my first impression of her was incredibly positive, and I just felt very, very. She had this raw emotional openness to her, where I emo- immediately felt kind of closer, and like we were friends. And I don't want her to feel like there's some bad first impression that people have of her because I think she does a great first impression. and And I even, the first time I even met her, I I emailed the bosses at the end of the shift and was like so this new girl is great just so you know because the first time I met her it was like 11pm and and we were both leaving and then as we're about to clock out we see this like trash can on the patio that's completely full I can't remember if I've talked about this on the podcast but (laughs) we see this trash can that's completely full and I look at it the same way everyone has apparently looked at it for months where I'm like oh that looks so full, but not full like it's spilling over, but it's getting close to the top. So I'm like, oh, let's just not deal with it. It's my th- thought subconsciously that I don't even verbalize to myself. I just like decide to not see it, you know, and she looks at it and she's like, bro, we got to empty that trash can. And I'm like, bro, it's 11 p.m. We've both been here for like eight hours. I'm so tired. Can we just like not do that? But she's like, no, no, we got to do it, which is a really good initiative. And then, so we're both pulling this massive bag up from the patio trash can. And then we have to tip it over to sort of drag the bag out. And then the bag breaks and it's full of liquid and the liquid that comes out of this bag is so smelly, and smells so much like, I guess it smelled like dog poop or vomit. Somewhere in between, like it was thick, bright yellow and it smelled like a mixture of dog poop involvement and it's going it's going all over the parking lot and it's it smells so bad that we both start laughing you know and it's like such a just such a offense to the senses that you're like it's such a strong and wondrous Like, you couldn't predict that this was going to, that you were going to have this, like, that your senses were going to, like, something was going to flare up in your mind and and just, like, enlarge your consciousness with this incredible bad smell. Like, it's such a, some bad things like that are just such a strong, big experience that you're just flooded with emotions about it and you just, we both just start laughing because it's like, oh, my God, it smells bad. And so it's going everywhere. It's like gallons and gallons of this thick yellow liquid. And so we managed to, like, get the bag into another bag and throw the bag away in the trash, which is, like, a good, you know, 100 yards down the way, which is good. So we got the bag out. But now there's, like, thick yellow liquid everywhere. Um, <laughs> This is reminding me of a Chef Eric story that's, that I should t- tack on to the end of this. Um. So, so, um, so then now this thing where it's 11 p.m. and we were going to do this one last task, it's, it turns into a 30 minute cleaning project because we have to go get buckets and buckets of water and just rinse the parking lot to get the, to get it to dissipate and to just get it to go away and to just like, dilute it and to get it to just go into the grass all the way down there so we're just like getting buckets and buckets and just pouring it on this thick yellow liquid so that because this handicap spot in the parking lot was fucked up like this handicap spot got fucked up by the thick yellow liquid and it smelled so bad like it, it was similar to when i did a deep clean of the rental that i just moved out of i did a deep clean three months ago and i it was weird because the, it, there was this big sort of industrial trash can by the garage and it had a trash bag in it and the bag was full of trash. But between the plastic of the trash bag and the trash can, there was just like food matter that had ended up there, like a lot of it. And then all of it had – it had been so long in a hermetically almost completely closed off space with no air ventilation, just between these two layers of plastic, that it, the, the food had completely – turned into just yellow, thick mush that was like completely, um, it was just one solid color. It all just turned into one thing. Like it, it didn't have bits in it. It didn't have chunks. It was just one completely consistent, thick, yellow, frothy thing that smelled incredibly bad so i guess there's just some i I, it was real exploration of like so what happens when you just leave i don't know there's something about compost that if you let air into it, like if it's in seattle they gave you these compost bags and they were paper bags and you were supposed to leave them in a sort of ventilated space because it actually gets worse without ventilation it gets way smellier but with ventilation it like dries out a little bit and it doesn't get that gross but without ventilation the sky's the limit with how gross it can get. So there was something in the, the trash situation by the rental and something in the trash bag on the patio at Holbrook that was, it, it, the same biological mechanism happened to create this like yellow, bright thing that, that happens when there's no ventilation and, and food matter gets, when you give food matter like eight months to chill. And I don't know if it's maggots or bacteria or yeast involved or whatever, but, But yeah, so me and Soleil just like cleaned up for like 30 minutes. And at the end of it, I had to go back in the office and just email the higher-ups and be like, so this Soleil girl is awesome because I was going to fucking leave this trash can. It wasn't completely full. It wasn't spilling over. I was just going to leave it for another day. But she took this really good initiative and then it turned into this big um, cleaning project and she didn't complain once. So so I... I am very vocal about how I think she's a great person. And then there's this other part of it that she was offended by that I said that I am not really apologizing for because it's that she's an anti vaxxer. And I, and then she's like, no, <laughs> I've gotten other vaccines. And it's like, that's good. That's good. But the COVID one is kind of key. And, She said this one funny thing, which I've heard the exact same phrase from other anti-vaxxers. And it's so funny to me because they're like, don't call me an anti-vaxxer. I don't want you to put me in the box. (laughs) And it's so funny to me because it's like, it's just a word and it's the word and it's what the word means. And you don't like the word because it's associated with bad things, but that's intentional because we don't want this to be a thing it's like if you murder someone and then I call you a murderer (laughs) and then you're like don't like I don't like labels like don't call me a murderer like that puts me in such a box like I'm not exactly like all the other murderers and it's like I didn't say you were exactly like all the other murderers I just said you were a murderer (laughs) like I didn't say if you were similar or dissimilar to them. I just said you you murdered a couple of people so you're a murderer like it's just the word we use. And it's like eh, too bad if you think that that's too much of a box that I'm boxing you into and you don't like the language and the limitation of language and and it's funny cuz I've I've had people say that exact thing like I feel like in the episode with Matt I we ha- tried to have a little bit of an anti-vaxer conversation and he's an anti-vaxer and and he didn't vaccinate his kid and his kid walks through while we're recording and it was a, it came together as an episode quite well. And um, I think he said that where he was like, I don't like how people use that term anti vaxxer It puts me in such a box. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you what, know, it's just kind of what the word means. here There's a global pandemic. It's killed a million Americans. We invented a vaccine, the vaccine, has side effects that are way more um acceptable than the than actually getting COVID. So it would be really good for everyone if we can all just get vaccinated. And if you refuse to get vaccinated in the face of this <clears throat> decision, then we have a word for that. It's an it's an anti-vaxxer and and if you don't like that word, then it's kinda like <sighs> Kind of like a murderer who's like, don't... I Yes, yes, I murder people, but like, don't call me a murderer, you know? And I'm not saying being an anti vexer is as bad as being a murderer. I'm just saying it's analogous in terms of... Um <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. I just think it's funny. I think it's funny to be like... I don't like labels. It's funny with Matt because he's like super anti-pronoun and stuff too, where it's like, oh, so you... Don't want those people to be in control of what pronouns you use for them, but but you want to be in control of what labels we use for you, even though the labels are very straightforward just based on reality, like you're anti-vaccine, so we shorten that and call you anti-vax. you know? <laughs> and Soleil was like, I actually had all these... I had this whole defense prepared. I wrote it down on my phone, all this stuff I was going to say to you. And she clearly started part of it. And it started like this. It was like, did you notice how I wasn't here for a week? That was because I hurt my foot. And when I hurt my foot on a rusty nail, the first thing I did was I went to the hospital. And you know what I did? I got a tetanus shot. That's a vaccine. So I'm not anti-vax. It's like, I love that you did that, you know? Like... I think you're great. (laughs) I think you're great. And don't take my laughter as a disrespectful thing. I just think the whole thing is so endearing and so fucking cool. And I like that there's a given. I like that there's a back and forth so much because I feel so lonely in life and all I want is a back and forth. I just want another person in the room and I want there to be a back and forth. And the fact that you thought about me when I wasn't in the room and that you thought out this logical argument, which is a good logical argument, I like it so much. And I love that you're giving me this rehearsed thing now. And it's so cute. And... I love that you take care of yourself and that when you step on a rusty nail and have to take a whole week off of work and in my mind as she's saying that I'm like you took a whole week off of work because you stepped on a rusty nail? Did I hear that right? But I didn't go back on that part because I was trying to be nice. So <laughs> I don't... I must have heard that wrong. I don't think that's right. But um yeah, that's good. Anti-vaxxer is definitely a spectrum. And... um This candle is not smelling anything. There's no smell to this candle. Maybe we should do a water. We're 54 minutes into this episode, so maybe we should review a sparkling water. Let's do this. Nixie. It's weird. I feel like I've reviewed this, but I looked on my in my library on the website. And it doesn't look like I've ever reviewed a Nixie. So maybe I haven't, but grapefruit, organically flavored. I got this at motherfucking Briar Patch yesterday where everything is a can of tomatoes in that place. is like $19. It's expensive. Ooh, it's hot in here. This thing is smelling cold. Alexa, what's the temperature in the living room? Dude, I don't think my Alexa is working. Twenty five point nine? That's pretty hot. Alexa, what's twenty five point nine degrees Celsius in Fahrenheit for my American listeners? degrees Fahrenheit twenty five point nine degrees Celsius. Yeah, that's kinda hot. It's hotter than room temperature. Seventy eight. 78 Fahrenheit. Yeah, this is delicious, and it's cold, and it's light, and it's not very full-spectrum. This thing was only 89 cents, though, which I'm cool with. Jesus, let's read this copy here. Nixie was created because we wanted a delicious, certified, organic-flavored sparkling water without synthetic, mystery-filled flavors. Uh, I think, I still think it's mysterious. Ingredients are carbonated water organic flavors. But, like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't necessarily know what that means. So, that's an 8 out of 10 right there. So, yeah, Soleil, you my bud. I hope we stay friends even if we're not working together in the future. And, um... Not that I know that either one of us is quitting or anything. I don't think I'm quitting. Um, Yeah. Soleil, you're, you're a real person. You're a real person, and I'm really sorry that I made you feel... And she did this... She's brought up this other thing of, like, in the episode, you talk about how, like, when people talk about you... What if they say something good or bad that really affects your self image for like three days afterwards. And so you should think about how you talk about other people because you talked about me negatively and that affected me for like 10 hours negatively. And, and that made me feel terrible. That made me feel terrible and guilty. And I, I feel bad about that world's worst apology though. I called her a murderer <laughs> in the middle of the apology. <laughs> okay. Okay, what else is going on? Um, Nixie, 8 out of 10, grapefruit. Yeah, one big thing that happened that... I don't know. I don't know that I have anything interesting to say about it, but last week I recorded a podcast on Thursday, and then I went to work at 5 p.m., and I was in the process of moving out of my house still, moving into this new spot. And so I work from like 5 p.m. to like one thirty a.m., and then I get off work at one thirty a.m. and my old house is pretty close to work and my new house is a little bit of a drive so to save gas I was like every day when I get off work I'll go to the old house pick up a couple of boxes and drive home and that way I won't do these drives where I'm wasting gas where I'm just getting boxes it'll be part of my normal commute and it'll save gas now that idea makes sense but the fact that I get off work at one thirty a.m. is a little bit of a wrinkle So I'm in my old house, I'm carrying boxes, I'm wearing my snibs, snibs is like a brand of shoes that's advertised on Facebook for anyone who reads like restaurant memes. The algorithm figures out that you probably uh, work in a restaurant and they're like specifically non-slip shoes made for people who work in a restaurant. So the tagline is something like, we work hard for people who work hard. So it's like a work shoe, but it looks good. So I bought a pair, and then I I wear it, and I also wear Safety Step brand shoes that are exactly the same shoe, really. But the Safety Step brand is forty bucks, and the Snibs are one hundred and thirty. But the Snibs look good, so I'm wearing them every other day and stuff. And I'm really like, man, these are like exactly like the Safety Step. It's such a scam, but. But then that night, I get off work, and I go to the house, and I'm carrying boxes, and it's 1.30 a.m., and, and I remember thinking in my mind, man, I like these $130 shoes, though. They look good. When I spill guac on them, I just rinse it off, and they're, like, super sort of uh, water resistant, so they stay clean, and then also, like, um, they protect my feet real good. I'm, like, they're real non-slip, so I don't fall, and, like... It just feel. I just feel real safe in these like thick, nice work shoes that I'm wearing right now. And then the I I literally thought that thought. I felt. I thought. Not. I didn't say it out loud because I'm alone and I'm not like an absolute lunatic. But I thought that I formed it the entire sentence in my head. Wow, my feet are so safe in these new shoes that I'm wearing. And then the next box I was carrying. It's an extra big box. It's quite heavy. I carry it out of the house. I'm on the deck. There's stairs down the side of the deck. It's 1.30 a.m. I'm really tired and I'm carrying this box down the stairs and I just step wrong and roll my ankle really fucking bad and just completely fall over and drop the box and crash into the ground and hurt my ankle really fucking bad. I just completely crush my ankle. And more importantly, there's multiple things here. More importantly, I land right next to a tea bar. Now, Americans are fucking crazy. Specifically, like everyone in Northern California, everyone wants a little bit of property, a little bit of land. Everyone has a dream of growing weed and making money. And everyone has tea bars. They're called tea bars. A tea bar is a metal long stake. If you look at it straight lengthwise, it's actually T-shaped. So that it's it's so that it doesn't bend because the the T-shape of it supports itself. So that it's a long thing. It's a long metal stake that doesn't bend. And then there's this weird thing that you, you that looks like what you used to harvest mussels, wild mussels and oysters. Anyways, so you drive these stakes into the ground and then you can like turn that into a fence is usually what people do like people grow food and then they don't want the deer to get their fucking food so they drive t posts into the ground all around the food and then they get chicken wire all around it so that it's like enclosure so At the rental that where I was living, there are all these T bars, and the T-bars are just a metal stake, a sharp metal stake sticking about three feet out of the ground. And I at 1.30 a.m. in the middle of the night, I roll my ankle and collapse my whole foot and land really and fall down the stairs and land really hard on the ground one foot from a T-bar. And I swear to God, I like if I had just fallen at a slightly different angle and landed one foot to the left, I would have that T-bar would have impaled my chest. It would have gone through my chest and come out the other side. And I definitely would have bled out and died. Like, cause I'm not the type of person that can like unskewer myself. Like, that can just stand up and just, through adrenaline and stuff, just stand up and, like, pull a stake out through my chest when the stake is, like, fastened to the ground. And then, like, while bleeding, like, get in my car and drive myself to the hospital. Like, I couldn't do any part of that. Like, I'd just be human shish kebab. And it would probably be a couple of days and then someone would find, like, my sun-dried corpse that had just like bled out completely, like, like a cow where you like slit the jugular so you get all the blood out of it. And then you just have this like completely blood drained dead body hanging from a meat hook. That would be me, but like skewered on a T bar shish kebab, completely drained of blood, completely dead, sun dried corpse found five days after I died. Um, and that, that just left me with a feeling of like, Well, fuck. I guess I can die at any moment. But, like, not a loud, panicky feeling. Just like a, like a, like a feeling of an inarguable, quiet feeling of death. It left me with an, like, an undeniable, quiet feeling of death. I was like, yep. Which is just like a little bit. It doesn't lead to any strong feeling. It just leads to a, Wide. it just it's a feeling that has stayed with me to this moment of just like, yeah, that's not so great. The fact that I can just die at any moment. And then I <clears throat> drove away from the rental. And I was like, fuck, T-bars, man. I hate T-bars. I hate that there was T-bars at the rental. I fucking hate the rental. I'm so happy to be in this new spot where we don't have T-bars. And then the next morning, I'm at my new spot, and I'm looking around, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, there's T-bars all over this place. There's a T-bar, right? There's all these T-bars right next to the building where I'm living. So, yeah, they're just everywhere. So, whatever. We just have to live with it. But I also hurt my ankle. And what's interesting is, like, last summer, I... Um, hurt my ankle real bad. I was flying a kite. I, I was on crutches for like six weeks. I was flying a kite. I gave it my all. I ran down the meadow. I, fu- I saw a tree stump. I jumped all the way up in the air. I probably had like 13 foot. I flew through the air for 13 foot hang time, like three seconds of hang time. And I land real bad and I just absolutely crushed my right foot. And then when I get up, I can barely walk. I can't put any weight on my right foot. And I'm hobbling on one foot, basically. And I'm like resting on my bud. Shouts out to Brie. I was dating Brie at the time. She like took care of everything. It was like incredible. I, I couldn't have survived without Bree for that month and a half. But what I find interesting is that last Thursday at 1 a.m. when I roll my ankle, I crush it, just absolutely crush it. And it's a similar angle where it's like the foot just bends in on itself. I don't know how to describe it, but it's just like it just bends in on itself more than it can so that the top of the foot is crushed and the top of the foot goes completely purple. And the weird thing is that last summer – I do it. I can't put any weight on it. And then I last Thursday, I do the same thing on my left foot, crush the top of it, can't put any weight on it, hobbling over to my car to drive off, lots of pain, put some ice on it, can't put any weight on it. It's all fucked up. the The interesting thing is that the experiences were identical. In the first six hours, the whole thing was identical. It was just like a weird mix of pain and numbness and lack of mobility, but also stiffness and like not being able to move it, all these different things that suck. And they they were identical, but they weren't identical because then last year I do it and six weeks later I'm like starting to be able to put weight on it. But this time around last week I heard it and two days later I can put weight on it, which is like a weird, terrifying thing. It's like weirdly terrifying how you hurt your foot and then it reminds me of that that um, Susan Sontag, the German philosopher, wrote this book that I read when I was a teenager. I didn't understand it at all, but it was about cancer. It's called like disease as metaphor. And it was about cancer and it was about all these diseases. It was about tuberculosis in the olden days. It was about how When someone has a physical ailment, we like project that onto their mind and their spirit. And we think it says something about their spirit in this weird, unavoidable way. We like can't, we can't not think about it like that. But it was also about when you get sick, the actual disease is like the smallest part of the problem. It's all the thoughts the layers of metaphor that we put on top of it are the worst part so it's like i hurt my foot and it gave me an amount of pain and the amount of pain was quite acceptable and when i put a bag of fucking frozen gyoza on my foot that was fine that just numbed that bitch out and then i was on my computer and the pain wasn't that bad but i'm sitting there like <sighs> so now i won't be able to walk for six weeks is that what this is i have no idea And so I won't be able to make money for six weeks. I have stupidly not developed any real profession. I just work in a restaurant and I make decent money, but I have no other source of income. And now I won't be able to make money for six weeks. And I don't, I don't, I have some money saved up, but it's like, dude, so now I'm going to use all my life savings to just sit on the couch and just like be depressed and I will get out of shape and I'll just get into this bad negative spiral of not exercising. And when I don't exercise, I can't eat salad because I'm just in a downward spiral. So I just eat fast food and sit down and I'm just going to like, it's really going to affect my mind and I'm going to feel way more depressed and I'm just going to sit here for weeks and I'm going to be way more isolated and I don't have any friends in real life. I only have my work friends and i'm super extroverted and i need a lot of human attention from a lot of different people and i derive my whole self-image from like what other people say about me and my the most recent things i've heard about that's people say about me so i need a constant barrage of that to 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 be able to take an average and to just take like In the last seven days, I heard people say a hundred things about me, so I just take the average and I just feel okay because the average can be kind of stable. But if I don't see a lot of people and I only see like three people and I only hear people say two things about me in one week, then the average super fluctuates and I can get really fucked up in my head about how... I haven't seen anyone this week and the one time I saw someone, this Asian lady at the fucking dry cleaner kind of scowled at me and that must mean that I'm a piece of shit and like... that's what my life is gonna be now. I'm just gonna be completely isolated and just, I'm just gonna, the only thing I'll have to deal with is like some scowling Asian lady at the dry cleaner and my self image is gonna just cave in on itself and and I'm not gonna have any money and I'm gonna be completely alone and I probably won't be able to stay sober. And it's like 3 a.m. and I'm just sitting there with a bag of frozen dumplings on my foot and it's like, fuck. I guess my fucking life just seemed kind of stable. And then because I was trying to save like $5 worth of gas, I carried a box at 2 a.m. Even though my mom taught me this thing, which she taught me through skiing. Like her, it was always something that was brought up in terms of skiing. Like when we'd go skiing, you ski all day. I've said this on the podcast before, but it's a—it's my mom taught me a lot of lessons, and and she—it's Sweden, so you teach them through skiing, and and i don't think that we're still recording video. Hold on. We are. We are still recording video. That's crazy. My mom taught me that you ski all day. And then when you are at the bottom of the slope and you think, I'm going to go up one more time and I'm going to do one more uh, one more run because I'm kind of tired. So we'll call it after this run. This will be the last run. Whenever you think that thought, don't do the run. Just call it right there. Don't go back up because that last run, you're tired and you're going to hurt yourself. The chances of you hurting yourself are so high. And this metaphor can be projected onto almost anything where it's like, we shouldn't do the last one. When you find yourself with that feeling of like, I think I'm getting too tired for this. I'm just gonna do one more. Don't do it. And then I was I was way too tired and I pushed myself way too hard and and I'm out here moving boxes and at 2 a.m. in the dark. And I fall down the stairs and I hurt myself real bad. And then I get this wandering bruise where the top of my foot is all purple. And then it goes to the heel and my heel is on purple. Two days later, my heel is purple. And then it goes to the top of the foot. And then it goes to the toes. It's like yesterday, like the base of all of my toes on the left foot were like completely purple and black. And I'm just like, what the fuck is this? Like, am I an old guy now? You know, my grandfather... My paternal grandfather, he's dead. He died when I was like maybe 13. And I don't have a lot of memories of him because I wasn't a very attentive child. I just wasn't living in the moment very much as a child. But there were a couple of things that shocked me that created these light bulb memories. And one of the things was he fell down the stairs at some point and then he showed me the bruise. And it was like this old man who was kind of a big guy. He was like tall, he was like six six foot two. And really broad shoulder and a kind of a big gut. And, and he just had these like veiny legs. And then he showed me, he pulled his pants down and he, he was wearing these like old man underwear, you know, boxer briefs. And, and he showed me his thigh and his butt. And it was like, I don't, I, honestly, the whole thing is like, I, nothing around it. I don't remember anything around it. I just remember the bruise. I don't remember what body part I'm looking at. I don't remember what house we're at or like where we're at or how old I am. I just know that it's my grandfather and I think it was leg or butt, but I just remember the bruise and everything around it is blurry. (laughs) Oh God. I remember that and I remember... and. there's just a bunch of shocking light bulb memories with him and that's all he never taught me anything he i remember this one time he had a black cat and he wasn't very nice to his cat and he would what i remember is him he always wore wooden clogs and i wear wooden clogs in america as a fucking tribute to him even though he was a piece of shit he was super verbally abusive to my grandmother and when he died she was like yeah that's that's nice that that's over. That's what she said. um but, um, I remember him taking his wooden clog and just gently gently putting it under the stomach of his cat while we're standing on his deck. They had this big house on the top of a not the top of a hill, but like behind the house there was a there was a huge slope down, like a big drop it had grass on it on the slope slope side down like a good 30 foot down the slope and then at the bottom of the slope there's like they were growing potatoes and all this food and stuff my grandmother so they had these stairs on the side of the house they had stairs down the slope and you could like I would like roll down the slope and all this stuff it was just fun to have like the sense of space when you come out of your house and you've built a big deck and then beyond the deck there's just like a drop down and and then there's just like a lot of space. And then there's a forest beyond that with super tall trees, the sense of space with having downward slope in front of you is wonderful. And that's why all the houses in Seattle cost millions of dollars. Cause they all have this like great sense of space because there's a drop in front of every house. Except where I lived. Cause I lived in a basement on a, on a flat part, but, um, I remember him standing on that deck and the black cat came up to him and he put his wooden clog gently, gently under the stomach of the cat. And then he just fucking launched that cat into the air. Like he did the soccer kick move where he just like launched it. And I'm surprised his, fl- his flipper, his wooden clog didn't fly off of his foot. He had really good wooden clog technique where um, those calloused fucking feet could keep the clog on his foot but the cat just he just launched it into the air and the cat just screamed like you know like a cat scream like (laughs) and the cat just like flew and there was so much I don't know the cat probably flew like 40 yards you know and then landed on his feet I don't know that i it's just a flashbulb memory of me remembering him abusing his cat I guess um and then the other thing I remember about him was when when I was in Sweden when he died and I saw his dead body and that shocked me and then Uncle Dan came to Sweden after he died and um and I remember we picked him up at the airport and we just said hello and everyone was really muted and Swedish and didn't acknowledge anything and we didn't he didn't actually know that his dad had died cuz we didn't want to tell him over the phone So he arrives in the airport and everyone's all muted and like being nice and polite and not saying anything about the death. And he's not asking. And then like we sit in the car and there's like small talk and silence and small talk and silence. And it's just all fake because we don't want to face our emotions. And then when we got back to the house where my grandmother and my grandfather lived, it was like me and my dad and his sister and, and Uncle Dan's coming from America and then he gets into the apartment and then they, as soon as he walks through the door, he just like starts bawling, Uncle Dan starts bawling and he's like, he's dead, right? And it just created this like shocking, it's like this expression of emotion was like this shocking thing to me. Cause you never see that in Sweden, bro. People never express any emotion. Uh, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, bruises. I hurt my foot. Yeah. Anyway, I hurt my foot and it just made me think of all these. I don't know. I've talked about it before how I, I've been privileged enough to like never hurt myself and never have any physical ailments and never have any thing other than just a deeply, deeply unhappy mind. And because of that, I never had to face my uh, mortality so in a practical way. So I um, yeah, there's something about it, you know. I um, I sit there with a broken foot and I take a day off from work and I put the fucking moon boot on, where you strap yourself in and you pump it up so your whole foot is fixed in with this inflated super stiff boot. And then it's good cuz then you can walk around and your foot is really just hovering inside of this boot. But I'm I'm I got this boot on and I'm just like facing my mortality and I'm hobbling around the old rental that I moved out of and fucking vacuumed the whole thing and cleaned it cleaned it up and didn't go to work for 2 days and it was like a deeply like so fucking anxious the whole time because not being at work and not knowing if my foot is ever going to recover and God, I hated it. I hated it. My landlady is back. I just heard her park. But then three days later, I could kind of put some weight on it, and I could kind of walk around, and I put a little supportive sock on, and, and I was pretty good. I was pretty good. Hold on, I have to do a bathroom break. Oh God, I'm such a scared person. Like I just went in the bathroom and I uh, look out the window and and there's. I thought I saw my landlord, landlady, like just standing outside of my bathroom window looking in. Wearing sunglasses. For some reason, that's what I thought I saw. But it was just a tree that's always there. And it didn't look anything like a person or anything. And it's the middle of the day. It wasn't dark. And I just had this, like, massive jump scare. I'm just, like, so scared of everything all the time. Like, what is that? Why do I feel so guilty? I guess I lived a whole life of doing... Of being guilty. And it's just taking years that feeling to fade, even though for the years now, I've been trying to live my life. I've been trying to live a life of innocence. You know, I talked about that last episode, having clean flour in your bag. The Swedish expression of just being compliant. And um, yeah, I don't know. Massive jump scare. got really scared. Um, Reminds me of, I was listening to an interview, a Lex Friedman interviewed, Lex Friedman interviewed John Carmack, this like video game developer. First of all, it's crazy because it's a six hour episode and I, it was just, I don't know. I think it's something about loneliness because I listened to the whole thing and they were just like two guys hanging out talking about... The 90s and the early 2000s and video games he developed back then. And I could have listened to a hundred hours of it. Just two guys shooting the shit. They were talking about different ways of how they, in the, in the 90s, how they came up with stuff for video games, like the first video games. What I was reminded of just now was how, um, he retells this one story of when they developed Doom. They had made all these side scrolling video games, like Commander Keen is a video game I played in the 90s actually. That was like, it was, they were basically taking Super Mario, side scrolling Super Mario ideas or the format and made it a PC game where you kind of, you're this guy and it's a platformer and stuff. But then they were working on different ways to come up with a 3D game. And the first 3D games were, the history of 3D games is like, it's a, it's a not, it's a, it's a linear, they, they, people came up with more and more complicated stuff. Like even in the eighties, like even 1980, there were games that were technically 3D where you have lines on a screen that's sort of representing something that's not 2D where you're like going through a space. But the graphics are so basic that it's just kind of two lines that are moving towards the camera in this like way that implies 3D-ness. But Doom was the very first video game ever where you kind of had a thing where you're in a space. It was actually 2D 2D because height wasn't the third um the third dimension was kind of fake. You're you're moving through a space but the yeah, anyway, you're moving through a space and the graphics are super basic, but you can turn around in the room. And they, I mean, it wasn't the first three D game in, in any way, because they made like a tank game five years earlier, where where you're you you're moving and it's three D and you can see these walls and you can go around the walls and you can shoot things you shoot the monsters and you save the children and you like have to go up to the children and pick them up and then you have to press a button and shoot the monsters and whatever. But the thing that doom did, that was the first thing that he, he he explained, he told the story of how while they were creating doom, they sort of managed to come up with a new way to make the screen change quicker because, because the way, computers work in the most basic ways that you sort of render the whole screen from left to right and they had very few bits to work with on these very slow processors back then. So it was easiest to make a Super Mario game where most of the screen is blue and and you just have these platforms moving across the screen. So all that... The computer really has to render is like the platform and your little guy and most of the background is static and doesn't move so in a 3d space it's actually kind of complicated because as you turn around in the room the whole screen has to be rendered but they came up with these shortcuts for how to keep parts of what they want to show in the future in the memory blah 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 it's like kind of technical but the point was that when they developed doom they came up with this way to keep a monster in the memory in a hidden way so that they could show the monster really quickly in a way where because the problem that all games were running up to was like when someone something is traveling towards the camera quickly as it gets closer it's you have to re-render the whole screen when the game when the monster takes up almost all of the screen space you have to, the computer has to re-render the entire screen. So the closer it gets to the cram- camera, the slower the computer is at rendering it from left to right, up to down. So the closer it gets to the camera, the slower it is, which is what you don't want because you want it to be scary and quick when the monster gets close to the camera. But so they came up with this workaround where the monster is actually rendered, but off screen so that it's in the working memory so that they can keep the monster moving quickly, even when it's close to the camera. And then they tried it out for the first time and they made a little model of it and the little beta version. And they had the guy who was making the sound for Doom, they had him try it. So like the programmers and the graphic designers were like standing around this computer and they like call over this sound designer guy. And they're like, hey, hey Ryan, sit down in the chair and like try this new thing that we made. So it's like you sit down in the computer and Ryan is, is doing it and he's like moving forward and he's like turning. And as he turns, this like monster jumps out quickly at him. And he like jumps scarce. And he's like, he gets scared. And it was like the first time, probably ever, in video game history, that someone got scared. Because when you're playing Super Mario, there's no way to be scared because you're 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 seeing it, it's a side-scrolling thing. You're not seeing it out through the eyes of anything. There's really no way to be scared. The the way to be scared is when you're sort of looking out and something comes at you real quick. That's like the most, most basic mechanism of being scared, even though there's a thousand ways to be scared. But like that thing, when they had the sound designer test it and, and the, the graphic of a monster came at him real quick as he turned around and went into a new room and he like screamed and made a noise, and all the programmers and graphic designers were looking at each other like, oh, this is going to be a thing, bro. Like, that—that what just happened has never happened before. So this is probably going to be a good game because we created this little experience where you actually get scared. And it was like a new idea to everyone where it's like, oh. So this actually works in a way where if we make a game like this and if we overcome the technical hurdles of it, it's actually going to be scary because that's not obvious before you've run the experiment. I don't know that that's obvious that you can assume that it would, was going to be scary. And then it turned out that video games are like way scarier than movies because you're actively part of it. Because the scare happens in a context where you're actively interacting and actively doing stuff and moving instead of just passively watching a movie. You know? I don't know, I thought that was an interesting story. And boy, I get jump-scared all the time, so I related to it. Yeah. What else is going on? I, um... I was thinking about this one thing because, um... I am um, like I was so I still meditate a lot and meditation is making me actually it, it, it's this thing that I don't know how it is for anyone else but but with me before I was meditating a lot I would just be inside of my emotions and I would just identify with my emotions and I wouldn't really be present in the moment and I wouldn't really look at stuff but now I'm I try to be present especially with technology and my phone and stuff. When I look at my phone, I try to not get sucked into it. I try to like really look at the screen and be and ask myself like what's on the screen here and why is it why do I find it so engaging? And what I realized last week is and I've never realized this until there's like a sense of meditating a lot and just really falling back and taking a look at my own what I see. And it's like it's the technology version of how if you close your eyes and look at what you see, you realize that even with closed eyes, you still have a field of vision. And it's like probably red. If lights are on, it's probably reddish. And it's like this bright darkness. But then when I'm looking at my phone, as it's loading and everything is white, I'm like really looking at it without identifying with it and without being sucked into it. And I realized that my... It's like because of meditation, I realized that my fucking keyboard, the thing that pops up at the bottom of the screen sometimes when I'm typing on the phone, the keyboard is like fucking burned into the screen because my phone is like six years old or something. might even be older. I just have my first... I have a Samsung S8 that I got right when I moved to America. So yes, it's like six, seven years old. It's so old. And it's like my fucking keyboard is burned into the bottom of the screen. Like if I, if I, when the whole screen is white and I stay present in the moment and actually look at it, I realize that there's like a vague pink keyboard burned into the bottom of it. And then yesterday I realized my phone is, is loading and the whole thing is white. And I actually look at it and I actually think about like, why am I waiting for this to load? Why am I so engaged with this phone? And I actually look at it and I realize that I play so much chess on my phone <laughs> that an actual chessboard is burned into my the screen of my phone. So when the screen is white and I'm waiting for a website to load, I can vaguely, vaguely see the checkboard pattern of a chessboard, the checkered pattern of a chess board burned into the middle of the screen because I play chess on the chess.com app on my phone. So then I'm like, how many games have I played? And I go in the app and I've played 1,960 games. And I only play, or I play other games too, but I've played 1,960 10-minute games, meaning that each player has 10 minutes. So on average, they take about 15 minutes to games because you usually have a couple minutes left. And um, that means that I've played 500 hours of 10 minute games on that app where the checkboard, the chessboard is, no, it's not also. That's the fascinating part that if you're black and if you're white, it's actually inverted. Actually, I don't know that. I don't know that part, but um, I'm sure it's been like that for years, but I haven't noticed it because I haven't been in the moment I haven't been in the moment, so I haven't noticed it. Yeah. And here's this other thing I was thinking about, where there's an interesting... uh God, this is so fucking abstract. I don't know if I can talk about this, but I'm going to try. It's like I was... um, I've been listening to all these podcasts about AI... And how AI can help us understand everything and understand physics. And then in physics, they've always had this idea of a theory of everything, which is kind of a weird, stupid misnomer because it's trying to sound so poetic and annoying. Cause it's, it's like, is it a theory of everything? Is it a theory of love? Is it a theory of biology? But it's like, no, it's just a theory that, that can combine the, the sort of mechanics of how things work on a very, very small subatomic level, like the quantum level something that can combine that with how things work with gravity between planets and stuff. Because right now we have a way to understand what happens on a subatomic level and a way to understand what happens on a planetary level. And the two seem completely at odds with each other. So we don't have a theory that can combine the two. So physics is looking for a theory of everything that can combine things on different levels. And, And the idea probably between physicists and people who develop AI to help with this is that the human mind can probably never understand it, but we can probably use AI to help us understand it. Which probably means that we can never understand it, but we can ask questions of an AI and the AI can give us real answers. But there's something about the human mind that the human mind is kind of limited, so we won't be able to understand it. But then they're always talking about how Well, everything is a representation. Like when you have a map, you a map is that you have a big piece of land and you represent it on a piece of paper. So everything is like a compressed representation. Everything is a metaphor or an analogy or whatever you want to call it. And that is always a lie. Like a compressed representation is always missing a lot of things. But there's something about how... So everything is a concept and a concept is always like not that true. And so that made me think of how in meditation you really want all the concepts to melt away, and you just want to be here, and you don't want to think about how you are a person, and you don't want to th- have you don't, and you want to realize how all your thoughts are concepts, and you just want to watch all the concepts sort of float through your mind, and you just want to kind of be here, and you just want to notice how there's like this field of light, like how your vi- visual field is just like a field of light and darkness and color in front of you and feelings against your skin are just here and there's a, a a field of sound around you giving you the sense of presence and this is just like the impressions you're getting and the thoughts floating through your mind and you just kind of here for it all and you're not ad- identifying with any concepts and you're not you you're not letting any of the concepts um, take over, really, or convince you that they're real. Like when you can remember that the concepts are just concepts, that's like a a form of presence. But then the interesting thing is that AI is coming up with all these concepts to explain the world to us. And I was thinking about how they're really the end point. God, this is such a stupid, like, non-scientist rant. Non-scientist talks about science rant, but let's just keep going with it. It's so fucking funny and stupid. Okay, but the funny thing is, though, that in the very end – The AI the AI is helping us in coming up with all these concepts and stuff and representations, compressed representations. But in the very end, the AI will probably be able to come, with, come up with something which is not a concept, which is just what it is. Because when we meditate, we want to become pre-conceptual. But the AI can probably one day help us become post-conceptual where we just actually understand what's happening. And the AI will just give us a picture of the world, which is the world, which is just a mirror where it's just like, look, here's the world. And it's just a picture of what things actually are without any concepts. And we can just be like, oh, that's what it actually is. And then, God, there's so much interesting stuff there with AI, like how... I was kind of talking about this last week, how like you give, you you used to have a computer and you teach it a game and it it becomes good at the game, but then you, you make it more general so it can learn many games. And it's actually the same intelligence learning many games. And then the later thing is that you don't tell it what the rules are. You just give it the context. You just say, this is just look at this. And then the game, the computer will come, will understand the rules naturally by just looking at a thousand games and then, like, you know, just self-learning, just giving it less and less is such an interesting thing because it's you you end up at a point of what actual human intelligence is and human learning because the way we learn is that we just look and we start out with nothing. And then we just start to see patterns of like, well, they keep holding up this round thing and they keep saying the sound ball so it's like i guess i'm gonna file that away and be like i guess the sound ball is somehow connected with this round thing that they're holding up after you see that a hundred times and then you just build language like that and then it's like okay they keep pointing to me and saying joachim so i guess i'm gonna maybe come up with the idea that maybe that's my name or something maybe there's something called name maybe that's maybe there's something some relationship between the sound joachim and me and like you just build on it and then you're like okay so maybe i'm looking at this chessboard and it's like maybe the rules are like this and and you just like oh god it's just so nice ah oh, i just like think it's such a beautiful idea that in the f- future we'll have these like agis and children can just grow up with them And you can just have a friend who's an AGI and you can just ask it anything and it'll come up with these incredibly, and we can give it guidelines like, try to make it beautiful. And it'll be such a good world because we'll have a best friend who, whatever it does for us, it'll try to make it beautiful. You know, try to make it nice. You know? try to make it poetic mr computer and then the computer will just look at all of human history and be like it seems like the humans think this stuff is poetic and then whatever we ask the computer will answer through a filter of poetry and it'll just be so freaking nice and i love that all right i don't know anything about science so maybe i should just shut the fuck up um but what I am the foremost expert on in the whole world is sparkling water. So we're going to do another sparkling water. So we're doing orange. We're doing grapefruit. This is a citrus episode. Poppy. Prebiotic soda, orange, pop, comma, cultured. Ooh, that smells like real orange. all the ice melted in the bucket, it's kind of cold, but not that cold. (laughs) That must, yeah, it must mean it's a long episode, and it is. Hour 42. All right, there were some things I had to talk about. I had to apologize to Soleil. I did, yeah, okay, good. I hurt my foot. I had to mention that. That's good. I don't know. Mm. I like this. I didn't like the last pop because it has a yeasty thick quality to it. But that works with orange juice. Because orange juice already has a little bit of a thick. Oh, it didn't work with raspberry. But it really works quite well with um, orange. Because orange has a thickness to it. There's a nice thick quality to it that's. A yeastiness with oranges, this is very, this is very, this is cutting edge right here. You know what I mean? Sparkling filtered water, apple cider vinegar, orange juice, lemon juice, organic cane sugar, natural flavors, stevia. How is this a prebiotic if that's, if that's all that there's in here? Because there's a little bit of apple cider vinegar? That seems like a fucking scam, huh? 20 calories. It's nice, though. It's it's delicious. It's This is a 9 out of 10. I'll drink it, you know? Because there's a lightness to it. 9 out of 10. It's like a light sparkling orange juice. It's a lot like a um, mimosa, actually. Because a mimosa, the sparkling wine and orange juice together gives it this Like you take sparkling water and apple cider vinegar, like apple cider vinegar diluted definitely has a little bit of a sparkling wine quality of that tart, tart, fresh thing. It tastes a lot like a mimosa. Excuse me, a little bit of a bubble burp there. So this is episode 100. I remember when I recorded episode one, I was like, I wish I had a little table that I could have next to where I'm sitting when I recorded the podcast. I just wish I had a little table, something that looked nice, something that in a KonMari kind of way just sparked joy when I looked at it because I thought it was designed nice. And I swear to God, I've been looking for a small table ever since, and I still don't have one. And it's like I have this ice bucket right here, and it's on the floor. And I just wish that, by God, what if this ice bucket was right here? on a small table next to me instead of on the floor. But it's like, you know, maybe it's kind of like a woman. Like, I'm still looking. Oh, that makes me bad, mad. Oh, that, that doesn't make me feel good saying it like that. So I broke up with Madison. Do, is there anything to say about that? I, I, yeah. She told me that one of the things that in a moment a little bit made her mad when we broke up when I broke up with her was that on the second date I kind of warned her that this is a pattern and then that it panned out exactly the way how I warned her that it w- might pan out that made her mad like like I was doing it on purpose or something no she didn't say that but it's like there was something about that that didn't sit right with her and I and I get that I get that, but it's like, God damn it, bro. Fuck. Episode 51 of my podcast was was me talking for one hour about how I realized the pattern in myself of how I used to run away from my emotions by getting wasted, drinking or smoking weed, and then when I quit doing that, I disappeared into video games because I didn't want to feel my feelings, and then I noticed that, and I stopped doing video games in that way, and then... There were all these other ways of doing it, reading the news, spicy food. There was a 12-hour bout with spicy food of how I was trying to run away from my feelings. And then the thing I realized most for episode 51 was that I was sort of doing the same thing with girls. So just like being really infatuated with someone was a way to run away from my feelings because it's really numbing. And it was really helpful to record that episode 50 weeks ago, and to sit with it and to think about it and the lead up to recording that episode and then the one hour of just really unpacking it with myself and then thinking about it afterwards, all of that was really helpful. And then the journey since then has been a big journey of realizing the limitation of language and the limitation of just spoken self-therapy and just the limitation of just because you notice a pattern in yourself doesn't mean that the pattern is going to go away. That's the thing. That's what I realized after that, which I didn't know, which I think is crazy. And it's like, fuck. I, I didn't know that. I thought that it's like a spell in a movie, you know, like the movie big, you go to point A and you get yourself entangled in a magical thing. And then you have this whole hero's journey, this whole story arc. And to undo the thing, you have to fall out of the same window and bonk your head again. And then now you come back to reality and the spell is broken. And there's this full circle quality to it. That's like how I have been taught that thing, that the, the world has that sort of prosaic symmetry to it. Where like once you put your finger on it, you're pressing a button, and the whole thing unravels. And once you've unpacked it, it packs itself down into a suitcase and and travels to the end of the world and goes away. But it's not that's not how it works. I could perfectly understand this per- pattern in myself, and I just keep doing it, and I just kept doing it. But I do think that there's something about vague hints of emotions that we somewhere in our mind we know that they are true and we have to listen to them. I was reminded of this recently when I I was talking to my buddy Sam. So Sam is in film film school in UCLA and she uh, makes all these short films. I think her thesis project is a long film. You know, it's like you become a movie director in this fucking movie program and university of california in la you know they become a movie director so she's making all these movies and then she has a medium long one which is like a 30 minute movie or something and she was talking about how there's an intro part which is real nice sets it up real nice and then her friend is a composer and she got him to compose a piece of music for it and the music over the thing is beautiful it's fucking awesome And it sets the mood in this crazy way, and it's so suggestive, and it's like a great combo. But the problem is that then visually the film clip after that needs its own music. And the problem is that the next scene also has music, which is different music. And the problem is that that piece of music, the second piece of music, then comes too close to the first piece of music. And you need a little bit of silence between two pieces, two very different pieces of music. So... She's working on it and she's looking at it and she's got this, all these film clips and she's got these two pieces of music and she's putting it together and she's changing things and changing things and it just doesn't work because you need a silence between the two pieces of music. So even though and, – and then the problem is that she knew that the first piece of music needed to go, but she liked it so much. It's the concept of to kill your darlings – which is a concept I think is most closely related to writing. Where you write something and you like it, but somewhere in your mind you know that it's not working. So you have to give up on it. You have to kill it. And that's – it's such a fucking fundamental feeling. And it's like not wanting to face that. Look, dude, I wrote a novel. I spent 15 years in this novel, right? Right. I spent 10 years on the novel. The first 10 years, nah, that's not true. The first 14 and a half years, <laughs> the novel was written in second person, meaning that it was about a protagonist and the protagonist was referred to as you, so, the novel starts with like "I don't know how it starts, but it's like this, okay, so you wake up and you get out of your apartment and you walk down the street and you buy a bowl of noodles and you eat a bowl of noodles, and then someone comes up to you and says this and this and this, and then the entire novel is written like that in u form, just describing what the person is doing in u form and I did that as a form of cowardice because I didn't believe that my writing was strong enough to be engaging on its own, but I felt like if I make it a story about you, if I then that will click into your brain in a way where you'll feel engaged because you'll be like, oh, it's about me? Like, I'll trick you to think like, oh, it's about me? Then I'm interested because I'm interested about me. So I thought I was doing something smart where I was tricking you to be interested in my novel by tricking you into believing that it was about you by overtly, literally writing the book, the entire novel in second person. And I had the word you in it about 20,000 times. And I wrote the whole book like that. And Dr. Luke read it two times. And he was like, bro, great novel, lots of potential, so much interesting stuff going on in here, really good stuff. But you can't write the whole novel in you. It's unreadable. And I loved it. And it took me 14 years to give up on that. The whole time I I could feel... It's not that I knew that it wasn't working. I could feel that it wasn't working. I could feel that there's something wrong. It's like that thing about feedback and how if a layperson says something is not working, you have to listen to it, even though you don't have to listen to the why. Because the layperson probably... What was that? I'm reminding you. Turn the fridge on. Oh, it's been two hours? I unplugged the fridge because i wanted alexa stop i um wanted to turn the fridge off because it's noisy for the recording and then i told her to to remind me in two hours because i was like i won't be recording for two hours but yeah it's definitely been two hours um you feel like something is not working you feel like something is not working But you don't want to face that feeling so you don't kill your darlings. So Sam had to... It was so hard. It's also hard when you're making a film and there are all these people involved. Because she literally had asked her friend to make her a piece of music. And then she'd said the piece of music was perfect. And then she's using this piece of music in her film. And then she realizes that it doesn't work. And now she has to tell him that, No, I'm actually not going to use your music that you made for free for me. That you were so happy that you were going to have in my film. There's that angle. Sometimes your darling is literally a person that you have to kill. I mean, I yeah, I relate to it creatively. But then there's something about it with relationships and, and romantic relationships where like, I... I think I have to decide. I don't know if any of this is true. This is extremely... I have not thought about this beforehand. This is an unformed thought. I'm freestyling off the top of the dome. Um, oh God, I am I hate myself. <laughs> Can I just say it to everyone that I... Trust me when I say that I hate myself. But notwithstanding how much I resent myself. Um, when I start seeing someone... I have to look for the feeling in my mind of how, do I know? Am I here because the feeling of infatuation is so wonderful and I do respect this person. So I do respect this person's opinion. So I do feel thrilled that they're interested in me. And that thrilling feeling of infatuation is a drug like high for me. And I I, I want it and it's, and I can ride that feeling and, and, and ignore and, and feel numb and have it not feel numb, but have it, um, overshadow how I actually feel. And I can have it be a way to run away from how my bad feelings. Do I behind, cause that feeling of infatuation will always be there when you meet someone new and when you start a relationship. But behind that feeling of infatuation, do I feel like there is something about this that's just not going to work in the long term? Which must not be confused with another thing, which is like, no one is perfect and we cannot expect our romantic partners to be perfect and we have to learn to accept people's flaws and we have to not be brainwashed by Instagram and how, you know, Instagram wants to brainwash you into believing that everyone is like – that there's people out there who are like super fun and they have like fun, interesting lives and they eat like really photogenic food and they always have like tropical blue water in the background and they – have like perfect booties and stuff, and somewhere out there, there's like a girl I can meet who always has like tropical blue water in the background of her life, and she's got like this tropical blue booty or something. Like the point is that we can't that that, that it's so easy to get confused there and, and not be sure. Like, am I? It's the problem here that this girl doesn't always have tropical blue Instagram water is the problem here that there isn't an Instagram filter over this girl or is the problem here that there's actually something here that is a fatal, fatal. I mean, when I say fatal flaw, it's as if I'm implicating the other person personally, as if to say that there's something wrong with the women I've broken up with, which isn't what I mean. What I mean is more like a fatal flaw in the relationship, a compatibility problem because like problems oh god i yeah i could be specific and say things like you know like one it, one thing about julie was like i'm a little bit of this very specific type of extroverted introvert where like i need so much social interaction but then i really need silence and to be in a relationship with Julie, I, I just didn't get enough silence. And that isn't her problem. You know, that's me having like really, really specific needs. And her being like interested and funny and always telling stories and always being funny and kind of intense. And she just needs someone who like really appreciates her intens- intensity. Whereas I found her intensity um, to be too intense because I was too introverted for it. Like, that's not a flaw in her. That was just a flaw in the compatibility between us. So, all of that is to say that none of this is that any of these women have any flaws. But really, when I start a relationship, I have to... Because the thing with Madison was that there was something where... I just didn't truly feel it in the end, and then... Yeah... There were some things I did right. Like I did try to communicate openly about it. And I did... Once I knew I really... Once I knew I did not to string her along. But I did most of the things wrong. But it was a nice... She made me feel so... There was so much intimacy. We felt so good and we had a lot of fun and we went on some trips and it was like, there was a lot of good stuff. (sighs) But in the end, I just like didn't, didn't really feel it. And I think I have to now go out into the world and keep an open heart and look for a partner. And when I strike up a conversation with a new person, And when I ask myself, could I be in a romantic relationship with this person, I have to ask some question of like, is there a feeling here of having, of fighting against a kill your darlings kind of thing? Is the relationship with this person a little bit like the first part of Sam's film there where... The music and the visual together was so good, but it just didn't work because you need silence before the next piece of music. So in the larger thing, it just didn't actually work. You zoom in on it. It's like you zoom in and it works and you zoom out and it doesn't work. Like that's the dynamic. Like you spend time with someone and you zoom in and it's like in this specific moment here, We're having ramen and it's fucking working. But then you zoom out and you think about your life and your bigger feelings and like which ones of your bigger feelings are feeling what? And this person and relationship with this person and like what you need for yourself and what this, how you feel with this person. Like if you zoom out, it's an act of zooming in and out. God, this is so fucking unformed. Oh God. Yeah. And and somewhere there I felt, yeah, I feel so crowded. Yeah. In this very moment, thinking about it, talking about it into this microphone, In this moment, I really feel like it seems very probable that I'll die alone. Like, that is what I truly believe in this specific moment. That I have... I do not have what it takes. That is what I believe in this specific moment. I do not have what it takes to to be happy with someone. Like, I'm too unhappy with myself, and I'm too prone to getting confused after three months of being in a relationship with someone and getting confused and believing that. Believing that there's sirens. There's probably a fire. That's a little bit terrifying. Because um, it's fire season, this house might burn down. Um, I can't remember what I was saying, but it was good. I'm too prone to blaming my bad feeling on another person. Once a person truly starts integrating into my life, I become really, I'm really prone to blaming the person for why i feel bad look i can like hear fire trucks it's like is there a forest fire like a hundred yards from here and i should be evacuating it's interesting wonder if when i check my phone there's a bunch of evacuation orders on there it happened recently with the rice's fire am i gonna forget this Lacroix candle wouldn't that be something wouldn't that be ironic if i burn fucking northern california down with a with a candle and a sparkling water can candle a candle of sparkling water anyway yeah that's where I'm at I'm going to I don't know the narrative that I'm that's like a little bit disingenuous that I'm telling myself is like around New Year's I uninstalled all the dating apps and I was going to be alone and then I did a little bit of dating and then I with hannah and then hannah and me broke up oh and that's something i'm not ready to talk about yet there's like another angle there that's like i care about her and i don't want to yeah but then i was alone for a long time and i wasn't on any dating apps and i was reading all these books about addiction and love addiction and all this stuff and i was it's actually interesting like kendrick lamar's new album which i am really struggling to get into but the more i learn about it the more i enjoy it like i hear the songs and i don't like the songs but then i go out of my way to find these youtube videos where jazz musicians like break down the songs and explain why the songs are genius and they just sit there on a piano and they like explain how cutting edge it is to take this thing with this and how they don't really go together but then you you like listen to it and it's got this like this like aggressive abrasive jazziness and then he talks about these aggressive abrasive jazzy ideas and then it really comes together and 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 it's like so a rhythmic and jarring but that's maybe intentional and then in the the new album mr Morale and the big steppers or whatever he talks about love addiction he uses the word love addiction and it's so interesting I just think it's just like really hard to, like we all have these addictions of like games and alcohol and stuff, but it's like the love addiction one is just so hard to explain. But yeah, what I'm telling, the disingenuous narrative that I'm telling myself is that I wasn't on anything and I was... I wasn't looking for anyone and I was intentionally being alone and thinking about it and reading about it and stuff. And then Madison texted me. (laughs) This is such a piece of shit thing for me to say. She texted me because we'd been texting like six months earlier and I would never met her, but we'd matched on a dating app and talked for a little bit and we're like, oh yeah, we should hang out. But then it never happened because we were just both too busy. And then six months later, she was like, hey, we never hung out. Like, I I know we haven't talked for six months, but how, how are you doing? and and we started talking a little bit and and i hung out with her and the thing is that i wasn't ready maybe and then i didn't have this fr- this thing i don't know i need to going forward i need to actually i need to work on myself for a bit but then i need to go out there into the world and i need to consider starting romantic relationships and I need to approach it completely differently. And I need to focus way less on the good feeling of infatuation and more way more on the question of, is there a fatal flaw in the compatibility here that I'm ignoring in the short term? Because the infatuation is like, if I zoom out, is there something here that I'm, that I'm ignoring? Because that feeling, the point of all of this and bringing Sam in and all of that stuff it's that there, it is an identifiable feeling, feeling like I know this doesn't work, but I want it to work. Like I write this piece of writing and I want it to be in this order and it's so good like this and this and this, and it has all these qualities and I know it's not working, but I ha- it has these qualities that I love and I'm ignoring that it's not working. Oh, fuck. Anyway. That's for season three. Is this the season finale, bro? I don't know if this is the season finale or the, uh, what is it called when you begin a new season? The season premiere. I don't know. It's episode 100. But um, we're going to be keeping doing things and we're going to keep doing things and we're going to keep asking ourselves and we're going to go into romantic relationships going forward and we're going to be way less giddy about it. That's the rule. The giddiness is not a compass. Like the giddiness and the infatuation and the being so over the moon about just the idea that someone can be into me. That's not a compass. That doesn't mean we go towards it. That's just how it always feels because the person who likes you is a human being and everyone is everyone is amazing and respectable and if someone likes you, that's incredible but it doesn't mean that you, ne- you should be spending the rest of your life with that person. That's what I need to hear. Yeah. I don't know. I'm a piece of shit, bro. I'm a real piece of shit. But, um, yeah, there was this other thing. Because today is episode 100, I decided there's this other thing. So, Joey the bartender's girlfriend, Erica, it's like um, Joey the bartender's girlfriend. It's like this, it's like the Amy Tan novel, The Bonesetter's Daughter, you know? The welder's ex-wife. You know? The zookeeper's stepchild. It's how we format names of books now. Um, the zookeeper's stepwife. So Erica is Joey, the bartender's girlfriend, and, and she came to Holbrook a couple of times, and then someone recommended my podcast to her, or I told her that uh, I had a podcast, and I spent about 90 seconds with this person face-to-face, and then she happened to listen to the episodes or uh, podcast episodes and then she got into it and she listened to a bunch of them and then she called me once and was like i referred to this before on the podcast and she talked to me about it in this raw honest beautiful way and she's another raw most much like soleil she's like this raw honest beautiful person and, and it's um For some reason there I started comparing them and I was like, that's not a meaningful that's not what that's not what we need to be doing. But the the point is that she got into the habit of listening to the podcast and then writing down responses on a piece of paper after listening to it. Which I think is a very healthy way to do it and to live your life because so much of social media and content that we consume, like consuming it in too passive of a way is probably unhealthy. Like consuming a Facebook feed completely passively makes you very unhappy and something that makes you a little bit less unhappy and to literally comment on everything and to be engaged. That's what Zuck says about it. That's what Mark says about it because Mark has a horse in this race. And he's like, no, 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 no. Facebook doesn't make everyone unhappy. You're just doing it wrong. Just comment on everything and then you'll be happy, which is a fucking lie. But it is, there's a kernel of truth in there that having, giving yourself a more active role is probably good. And then it has this added benefit of, Jesus, I keep hitting the mic stand, has this benefit of, um, She wrote down all these thoughts about different episodes and she gave me the paper. And then when I got it, I, I just had this incredible sense of importance to it. It the, the packaging had this incredible sense of not importance <laughs> because it was in a it was in an Amazon, it was in a reused Amazon uh just flat bubble wrap package, bubble envelope. Um but there was a bunch of paper stuffed in there and um and it had this sense of importance to it like i didn't want to just read it right away or i just didn't i didn't feel like i could i what did i feel i felt like I don't know. It had a sense of importance where it felt like there was a right way to do this. There was like an importance. It was like where there should be a ritual, but I don't know what the ritual is, which is like a feeling I have quite frequently where I feel like we live in this post-religious world where religion meant that you lived your life and it had all these rituals to it where like every Sunday you go to church in the morning and you just sit and you listen to someone talk about some ideas for a bit and you reflect on your life and there's a ritual. And then it, important moments of your life have this like set template of a ritual around it that's like really developed around how the human mind works so that things work out. So you have this blueprint like this. Things are... Someone else thought stuff out for you so that the blueprint is there, so that we have the ritual, so that we do things correctly, so that they land with us in a proper, big, emotional, healthy way. You know, someone dies, so you have a funeral, so you work through your emotions, and everyone gets together, and you have a big cry. And you have speeches and it's like beautiful and you feel better afterwards. And it's like all of the ritual that we had, that's like what we do because we need it. And then now we live in a post-religious world and I really just, I'm just alone in my apartment and I have zero rituals. All my rituals are like, take a lens wipe out and wipe your glasses at the beginning of every episode of the podcast. That's all I have. So, I was holding this package in my hand that Erica gave me with all these pieces of paper with thoughts on my podcast. And I felt like there needed to be a ritual and I didn't know what the ritual was. So I came home and I like put it next to my bed and I was like, I'll read it. I guess I'll know when I should read it. And then there's this movie idea, just like the, expe- the movie, the movie in- or like the... the- An expectation given to us by movies, just like the expectation given to me by movies that if I can just full circle come back to figure out what my mental health problem pattern is, if I can just say it out loud, it'll go away. It'll break the spell. In the same way, I just there's this big expectation that with big things in life, you know it when you see it. And I just felt like I'll know it when I see it. The moment to read... When the moment comes, when it's time to read Erica's notes, I'll know it when the moment comes. And then weeks passed, and I got kind of busy, and I just waited for the moment. And I just, I think it's a weird movie inspired. Like, I think we get fucking confused by movies. That's what I think. I think movies confuse the shit out of us. And I don't think it's a realistic expectation, maybe, to think that you'll know it when you see it. Maybe you don't know it when you see it. But so this morning I woke up and I was like, I'm going to record episode 100 today and I want to do something special. And luckily I had a bunch of things that I wanted to talk about. So at least it's a long episode. I was thinking about things like, because for episode 50, the season finale of season one, I called everyone who had been on a a guest on the podcast and then I accidentally lost the recording (laughs) Oh god because my computer crashed and the whole thing was fucked and that was kind of a failure but but um i was thinking about doing that i was thinking of doing phone calls i was thinking of calling chase windu because chase windu was um in the first 10 episodes i was recording and i didn't know if i wanted to do it and no one was listening and stuff and and then i was playing chess on my phone And I was talking to this guy, this guy, the the flag said he was from North Korea, but but he was clearly an American. And we were talking and playing a bunch of games of chess. And then I was like, you should listen to my podcast because I wanted to tell people about it, but I was afraid of telling people in my life in reality about it because I was afraid of them making fun of me. But I felt like on chess.com, I randomly get matched up with some guy who says that he's in North Korea. I don't know his real name, I can tell this guy that I have a podcast and that he should listen to it, and I will, and if he makes fun of me, I can handle that, because he's so far away, and he doesn't know what my name is, and it's like, I can just push him away, he's he's far away enough that it's safe for me to tell him, hey, you should listen to my podcast, so I did. I told him to listen to my podcast, and then he did, and we played another game of chess, and he sent me a message, and he was like he, – he he talked about it a bunch, and he listened to a bunch of episodes, and and I was fucking – he was the first guy, you know? He was my first guy. So then I recorded an episode after that, and I was like, blah, blah, blah. It was like fucking lemon water with Chase Windu or something is what I called it because he was my first guy. He was my first guy who did, who wasn't my friend, who didn't have to – say that that they liked the podcast because they were my friend. They were just some stranger. So I thought about calling him because I've been meaning to call him because he... Yeah, actually, we've been talking or we talked a year ago and he gave me his phone number and he was like, call me anytime, bro, because I, I wanted to interview him for the pod because it's funny. <laughs> it's funny. So I was going to call him, but I didn't. But I wanted to do something special. So I read Erica's notes this morning and it was so nice because she validated she she it's so neat the whole thing was so neat it's like these nice neat white pieces of paper and at the top of it in bubbly bubbly girl handwriting she wrote which episode it is and then in the top right corner she wrote what flavor of water i was recording and then she wrote in perfect legible longhand she wrote notes on what i was saying and what it made her think of and she commented on what i was saying and then she gave me her own feelings and I don't feel the need to comment really on anything that she sa- said because we have done the back and forth. I I put something out and she put something out. And it's like very, the two halves are right there. But it's it's beautiful. It made me feel connected and it made me feel good. And it was a little bit also like the first time she ever called me, was when she was listening to me talking about how I didn't believe in the podcast at all. And I fucking hated myself and I hated the podcast and I wasn't going to do it. And then when she heard that, she like called Joey, the bartender, and he walked into the office and gave me his phone. I was like, talk to this person. And she was like, don't stop doing the podcast. And I was like, okay. And then I was feeling like I hate myself and I hate this podcast. And I was going to record episode 100 today. But then this morning I was also feeling like maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I should just not record anything and stop doing it and see if anyone will even notice. And I kind of believe that even though some people listen, I think if I just stop doing it, no one will say anything. They'll just not listen because there won't be anything to listen to and they won't say anything about that and it'll just be fine also. And that doesn't have to be that bad, you know. But so I didn't believe in myself, and I was like, "She called me this one time about that, so I'll, I'll read this, and it'll maybe make me feel." I mean, I don't know, audience of one, you know. I use the term phrase "audience of one" quite a lot, and it's there's something about audience of one where making content, in some sense, is a journey of accepting that audience of one is okay audience of 0 isn't an audience so audience of 0 it's not okay audience of 0 is not okay is that right i don't know yeah audience of 0 audience of 0 is a failure but audience of 1 is all we need we don't need I don't know. I mean, you, you do sound like a loser making excuses when you say that audience of a million is not what you need. But there is something to the mental gymnastics of it where it's like, what we need is to just visualize. I need to see all my 90 listeners as one person. And it's like, audience of one, like whatever you make, you need to just Believe that there's one person and to be okay with that there's only one person, but there's one person and you respect that one person. So audience of one is okay. So this is audience of one, bro. This is a two hour and 23 minute episode and it's it's so that Erica has something to listen to while she drives to work. You know, that's all this is. So let's record uh, me reviewing a third water here. Water, 333. Some caffeine, 45 milligrams. The brand is called Sound Unsweetened Organic. Sparkling water with tea and botanicals. Tangerine, lemongrass, green tea. Ooh, green tea. People love green tea, but I don't. And I actually like real green tea, just actual hot green tea. But then anything you do to it, you cool it down, you turn it into a powder, you put it in dessert, you fucking stick it over your butt. All the other stuff, I don't like... You know, matcha, which, matcha, which means powder tea, mocha, powder tea. Mocha is a byproduct of making tea. It's the keef. It's the stuff that falls down to the bottom of the machine when you're drying the tea, the tea for making actual tea. And I remember this Chinese guy back in China, he was like ranting at me about like, oh, Westerners are so stupid, they pay so much money for tea powder. Because he was talking about how he was going to become rich on tea products. So very little tangerine, a lot of green tea, quite a bit of lemongrass. Let's try again. I really do respect that. That is fucking really interesting. Because that's not that bad. It's green tea. It's got this earthy green tea quality and I like it. And I like it. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That's another good one. That's an 8 out of 10. I'm going to talk about one more thing just to make this episode disgustingly long. So when I was living in a dorm with Luke, actually, I think it was the first time I lived in a dorm. Like when I was 17, (sighs) graduated high school, moved out of my parents' house, lived in a corridor, studied philosophy at Lund University, lived in a dorm. I had this idea that I wanted to have a growing leafy vine in my dorm room and I wanted it to grow up on the wall and I wanted it to grow in the ceiling and I wanted it to grow above my bed because I wanted this thing of like having just green leaf, leaf work, leavery greenery, leafery above my bed. I just liked that idea. And I was like, fuck it, I'm going to do it. And I started doing it and shit. And then it, I had a plant, it grew a little bit up the wall. I had my pillow under there. And what I quickly noticed is that I was a city boy at heart, and plants are gross. Plants are fucking disgusting. Plants are not inert. Plants are not just plants. Plants are like interacting with the world, and they take things in, and they push things out. And every plant at all time is like raining down little microparticles of whatever it is doing in its cycle of life of whatever. Like, maybe it's fucking getting pollen everywhere. Maybe it's just getting goop everywhere. But my pillow under the greenery was sticky and moist. And there was like a weird dew that formed on my pillow. And even before the plant work could grow up all along the wall and then start working on the ceiling, I was already noticing that, like, this is gross. Like, this pillow is fucking moist all the time. And I'm laying down at night putting my head on a moist pillow. And then people were like, yeah, that's not a thing. Like, you can't sleep under greenery. It doesn't work. There's like a reason why we don't do that. And there's a reason why when you sleep outside, you sleep in a tent. Like, because the world, nature is fucking disgusting. And so I thought that I had a new idea or something. Or like, I just stumbled upon this concept of how... If we don't do something and it sounds pretty cool, because it sounds nice, it's a universally nice sounding idea. The idea like, what if you could like sleep in in a fucking potted plant, you know? And there's just leaves everywhere and you wake up and it's like, all the walls around your bed are like covered in like vines, kudzu vines with big oak. What are the fucking, what are these plants called in English? I have no idea um yeah what if the what if the ceiling above your bed was covered in greenery and living nice, beautiful lush plants that's nice that's a nice idea to everyone, and there's a reason no one does that because it's fucking disgusting, and your bed would be moist and sticky all the time from just like the stuff that the photosynthesis chlorophyll disgusting um also, bro, you would have fucking insects just raining down over you. But so I was reminded of this recently where I, I now have this little bit of a drive commute to work where I drive 25 minutes to work. It's about 22 kilometers or something. And I drive through a forest. I live up in the mountains. I work in town and it's a small town and I live even further up in the mountains and I and I, and I I drive to work and, and it's through a forest and every time I do... To a city person, every time I do my car is covered in shit. And it's weird. To a city person, it's weird because it's not what I what what I would expect in terms of the material. Like I expect the material to be like some sort of fresh dew or something, or like green stuff, but really it's like plastic. It's like microplastic. It's like globs of super sticky, waxy, super artificial seeming microplastics. So if I drive back and forth to work multiple times without hitting a gas station and like doing that thing where you do the windshield, when you wipe your windshield, how interesting are windshield wipers also? Because like, imagine the technology that goes into that because you, it's supposed, it needs to be fairly cheap, but then it also needs to have this thing that can wipe In a super simple motion, just back and forth, and just one material, it needs to be able to wipe any conceivable goop off of your windshield. Like, how crazy is that? Like rain is the big one, obviously, like it needs to be really good with rain, but then anything else that covers your windshield that makes it so you can't see, it needs to be able to wipe that off so you can see for safety reasons. So like imagine all the fucking technology that goes into just the material sciences of coming up with the ultimate windshield wiper. Absolutely fascinating. What a complicated science probably, but I tell you wherever they're at. In their thinking process, they haven't come up with a way to get the fucking plant goop off of the windshield. Because, like, I drive back and forth a couple of times, and then my windshield is just covered with tiny micro dots of something that's really plasticky-seeming. And I go out and I touch it, and it's just, like, waxy, goopy stuff that... I, I, the windshield wiper and I get the wind wiper fluid on there and it doesn't help at all and it's like so gross and it's exactly the same shit that my pillow was covered in when I was fucking 17 and I've been living in cities ever since and there's like this wormhole of like me f- between 15 and 35 there's a 20 year period where like at 15 I interacted with nature once and it was gross and then 20 years later I'm, I'm now interacting with nature again and I'm like oh I remember this this is why I spent 20 years in cities. This shit sucks. And now I'm just sitting up here in the mountains and there's no one and my skin is just crawling. Just like massive cabin fever. I feel fucking crazy, honestly. It's, in, it's fucking weird that I live up here. I need cities, dude. I need like an acai bowl... I need like vending machines. I need like people everywhere and I need to not have to interact with any of them. And I need robots to get me everything. And I need to go to the city center and just have robots give me everything. And I need to just be surrounded by people that I can look at and be like, ugh, I wish there weren't so many people. But I need all those people. Because when I'm up here in the mountains and there's no one and I have everything I need, I'm like, ugh, I wish I was just in a crush of annoying people right now. I wish I was in a crowd, but I'm not. I haven't been in a crowd in so long. Dude, I haven't been in a crowd for years. That's more about COVID than anything else. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I know I murder people, but I don't want to be put in a box. Don't call me a murderer. <laughs> oh, and I'm fascinated with computers and how they can help us understand. Just help me understand. That's what we'll say to the computer. And I hurt my foot, and I have Luke's painting on the wall, and this is episode 100, and I haven't found a perfect small table. We have to learn how to kill our darlings. I don't know. I love you guys and, and 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 thank you to everyone who's listened and and I don't know. This is episode 100 of my podcast. Thank you for listening everyone.